You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Chris and Nick Show here on Big Blue View Radio. I am one of the hosts, Nick Filato, joined, as always, by Chris Flum. And we're here to go over the film that we watched on the Giants' 24-16 victory over the Houston Texans. And Chris, they used an offensive approach that would have made Rush Limbaugh look like a socialist, man. I'm talking just an <laughs> uber-conservative, heavy-run type of approach against a team that ranked 32nd in defending the run. So kind of makes sense, don't you think? Uh, yeah, that absolutely makes sense. I mean, uh, I think instead of playing Hell's Bells or Crazy Train or something like that, when the Texans kicked off to the Giants or punted, I I imagine they were piping Tom Coughlin's voice into the stadium. So we're going to run the ball and play great defense. And yeah, that pretty much describes what the Giants did. <laughs> it's a lot of this season so far, although we've seen spurts of efficient passing throughout the year. But man, in this game, it was just different. It was even different than what we've seen in Seattle because we saw eight offensive alignment out there several different times. Nick Gates played, I think, 13 snaps in this game, and he was never in one of the starting five positions. He was acting as the H-back. They used him in motion. Chris, they were using him as a wham slash trap type of blocker. I liked the implementation of using big offensive linemen in those third and those fourth and short situations, because to me, it says this to the Houston Texans, we are going to run the football. We are not even hiding it. We're not bringing out any wide receivers. We're lining with eight dudes who are over 300 pounds on the line of scrimmage. Chris, stop us. And guess what? Houston couldn't stop him. So, I mean, that's a check in the box for the New York Giants right there. Yeah, I have to give credit to the Giants offensive line for really doing their jobs out there. And it was interesting to see how much the Giants ran the ball. And Saquon Barkley had 152 rushing yards. But at least according to NFL Next Gen stats with you know satellite tracking and all that, he only had nine yards more than expected. So he was picking up what the Giants offensive line was blocking for him. So I, I think we really do need to give those guys up front credit. And I really did like the use of the super jumbo packages that Mike Kafka ran out there. And I liked him for a couple reasons. First, obviously, it attacked the weakness of the Texans defense yeah they are not good at stopping the run i i thought at times they did a pretty good job holding up the giants blockers and using the giants blockers to slow down saquon barkley there were a few times especially early in the game where it looked like barkley really almost got stuck to his blockers and was then gang tackled but over the course of the game the Giants offensive line, all five, six, seven, eight of them, were getting good movement <laughs> up front. And also, I liked it because of how the Giants used their tight ends 
in this game. Yeah, this was something I didn't notice during the game, but Lawrence Cager was TE1 out there. He had 45 snaps. That was more than any other tight end on the Giants squad. So when you have a converted wide receiver, a guy you do not want making a key block on a running play or a passing play, you have him out there for most of your offensive snaps. It makes sense really to have Nick Gates out there as the H back to give you that beef that Cager just lacks. And Cager as a blocker, I feel like it's a significant step down from even a Chris Myrick who had a couple of nice blocks in this game, but he only played 16 snaps. So using those big offensive linemen obviously is going to come at a cost to somebody. And it was, the multiple tight end sets. Tanner Hudson only ended up playing 11 snaps in this game. But one thing I liked about this Giants rushing attack before we move on is just how varied it is. How many times, Chris, in this game did the Giants run to the weak side of Lovey Smith's four down over front? So if you're going to run to the weak side of an over front, what does that mean? There is a one technique who is going to be on the outside shoulder of the center. So the Giants used a wipe technique, which is what is, which is a, a technique on these outside zone plays that essentially acts as a pin pull type of concept. So when you're running to the weak side, you're going to use the guard to block down on the one technique, effectively pinning him. And then the Giants pulled John Feliciano around the guard every single time. But if you look at every single offensive lineman, they're all just stepping play side. It's still like the outside zone, stretch zone type of rules. And I felt like the Giants ran weak side effectively through most of this game, through unbalanced type of sets even sometimes. And that was a, a cool little thing that they did even to the boundary so they kept their rushing attack pretty unpredictable so Houston can never really get an exact beat on what they were doing especially earlier in the game and then it just got to a point where they're like we're running the football stop us and guess what you can't and Houston couldn't <laughs> yeah th I think that really kind of speaks to the philosophy we have seen from Mike Kafka as offensive coordinator where he is a tendency exploiter and I think he used the first half of this game, not even just the Giants opening script, but the whole first half to really probe the Texans defense and find out which running plays they really couldn't defend or they struggled to defend the most. And then they just kind of leaned on those in the third and fourth quarter. And we, we really, we saw the Texans kind of rebound in the run game a little bit in the fourth quarter, but their, their run defense just broke in the third quarter. And Chris, man, it was crazy to see, even on the first drive, the 10-play drive where the Giants go 68 yards and they score a touchdown, Houston's linebackers were so freaking aggressive shooting their gaps, man. Their safety was coming down into the box. Like This is a cover two team. They ran cover two, the Houston Texans, 11.9% of the time. They were in cover one and cover three, middle of the field close, drop a guy down in the box, loaded box type of defense. Most of this game, the Giants were still able to run the football as well as they did. But Man, the play-action passing attack really opened up because of how aggressive Houston wanted to play Saquon Barkley and this Giants running attack. I mean, that 36-yard gain to Darius Slayton on the first drive on that second and 12, there was no one in the middle of the field, Chris. The linebackers pinched so far in the middle of the field, closed safety. I don't know what exactly he was doing. He didn't drop down on the cross, and there was a miscommunication between him and Derek Stingley Jr., and Darius Slayton catches it for his first explosive play of the game. Yeah, there were quite a few, um, we'll say breakdowns, on the Texans' side of the ball. Uh, I think it was uh, Christian Kirksey who said after the game for the Texans that they're a 
poor or just bad second half team. They they really struggled with execution throughout this game. And the, the Giants had their own issues there, which I think is something we can and probably should talk about, but certainly not to the not to the extent that the Texans had. Yeah, we'll get into the self-sabotage portion that plagued the Giants in the second quarter, but I want to touch something on the passing attack real quick because this is an interesting note that you put into this Google Doc. The Giants didn't have a passing yard in the fourth quarter of this game. The last completed pass the New York Giants had was the second, third, and seven on their third touchdown drive. The pass against cover two, I thought it was a really well Called a play by Mike Kafka. It was a three-by-one set. The number one is going to run the post. Number two is going to run the clear out. Wando Robinson is going to run the stick. The stick is going to occupy the middle hook defenders in the cover two. Isaiah Hodgins was wide open on the post. Guess what? Previously on that drive, Giants were in a third and seven situation. They ran that same exact play, only from a flipped formation. And Isaiah Hodgins ran that post, but they found they found Wandale Robinson on the quick little stick route because the Houston Texans loaded the line of scrimmage up. They had like seven guys on the line of scrimmage and everybody bailed to depth in the same exact coverage, a cover two type of coverage. So on those two third and seven plays, Houston decided to run cover two and the Giants exploited them. But that catch by Isaiah Hodgins was the last freaking completed pass in the game. How crazy is that? You know, in the context of the Giants, I would say not that crazy <laughs> because true. this is the third game in which they didn't have a single receiving yard in the fourth quarter. Now, I don't think you can hold the Chicago game against them because they didn't have a functional quarterback in the fourth quarter of that game. But that also happened in the game against Jacksonville, where the Giants' last receiving yard came kind of in the middle of the third quarter. Now they dropped back to have some, dropped back to throw some passes, but there were, uh, I believe, a couple uh, sack and a couple of incompletions. But they really, really have leaned on the running game in the fourth quarter. They just take the air out of the ball in these fourth quarters. That like half of their games have had just a couple passing yards or a couple passing attempts in the fourth quarter. And it, it, in the context of the modern NFL at large, that's crazy. Even with as much cover four, cover six as the NFL as a whole is running right now to really cut down on the explosive plays we saw last year. But the way the giants are almost disregarding the passing game as things come down to the wire, is kind of crazy. The best example of it was certainly against Jacksonville when the Giants aligned in the same exact formation eight different times, and they ran the same exact play. One time they flipped it to Matt Breida, and then the other time Daniel Jones just kept it on a bootleg. But holy crap, was that imposing your will on an opponent on the road, which was very impressive. But Chris, I do want to talk about the self-sabotage in the second quarter. The Giants had... Two drives, their third and their fourth offensive drive, where they drove into Houston territory well within the range for Graham Gano, and they shot themselves in the foot, and then they shot themselves in the ankle and knocked themselves out of field goal range with the Jack Anderson fourth and one. I'm going to false start, unfortunately, and then just get ripped apart by Brian Dable. And then the Wandale Robinson, I think I'm just going to outrun everybody, lose five yards. Eventually, Daniel Jones takes a sack on third down. Both of those drives were promising 
ex- well executed drives up until that point. And those typically are are situations where you lose football games because of that. But I'd never really had that feeling against Houston because Houston is Houston. Yeah, that this is kind of a, a trend. I think we're seeing with the Giants a little bit. And I think it's something, I, I don't want to say it's something to be concerned about, but it's certainly something to be aware of where the Giants were out executing everybody in the first five, six games of the year. But over the last three, Jacksonville, Seattle, and now against Houston, we're starting to see kind of, I don't want to say cracks, but their discipline breaking down at times. And they're starting to make dumb penalties that they just let the other teams make previous to this and have these negative plays. Uh, Barkley had a, had a couple negative plays as well, which I think those were really just more great uh, plays by individual defenders on the Texans side of things. But then you, like you talk about Wandell Robinson having that rookie moment where he was just, he ran about a hundred yards to lose five yards. And again, you have the inopportune penalties. Like when the giants were backed up on their own goal line, they had a false start and backed themselves up even more. Fortunately on the play right after that, Nick Gates was there to make a, another really good block to keep a Houston defender from potentially getting a safety on Saquon Barkley there. So these are things that I I hope the giants coaching staff is paying attention to and working to clean up because the Houston Texans should not have been able to hang around as long as they did. Fortunately for the giants, they hurt themselves way, way worse, which I think is something we're going to talk about in just a little bit. But also the Giants don't have the type of team where they can play against themselves and another team. No, they don't have that type of team as of right now. But I do want to talk a little bit about this wide receiver position. Because obviously the Giants traded Kadarius Toney. We saw him have a mini breakout with the Kansas City Chiefs. And now he is not going to be contributing to the New York Giants, unfortunately. But we are receiving important play from one Darius Slayton, who was buried, buried on the depth chart throughout training camp. And we saw his big play, his big touchdown play on the whip route against the six-man pressure where he was isolated against Jalen Petrie. Jalen Petrie takes a really bad angle to the outside hip. Darius Slayton spins inside and then just makes a really, really, I would say amazing run after the catch following his blocks and then just showed impressive acceleration and speed to get to the end zone. I'm really impressed with what we're seeing from Darius Slayton as of right now. And he is working himself into that conversation to be like, okay, I'm comfortable with this guy as a wide receiver, which sounds crazy, but we haven't necessarily said that about anybody on this team since Sterling Shepard's injury. Yeah, I think going forward, the Giants should at least be having conversations about extending Slayton after the season. He has been a very nice surprise. I think he is really uh rejuvenating his career i don't know that he's ever going to be a a wide receiver one or two but i think he could still be a dangerous wide receiver three for the giants a guy you go to four or five times a game and just give him opportunities to use his speed and explosiveness yet again with the wide receiver position there the giants are also getting contributions from isaiah hodgins who I think it's 
fair to say has a pretty darn good chance of supplanting Kenny Galladay in this offense, which I, that, that's kind of a, a multifaceted question right there. But Hodgins was the Giants' second leading receiver. He has so far proven to be pretty reliable. And on that big play by Slayton, that 54-yard catch and run for a touchdown, Hodgins was the guy pretty much facilitating that touchdown, running the clear out from the, I believe it was the X. I'd, I'm trying to picture the formation in my mind. I'm not sure if he was up on the line of scrimmage. The Darius, or... Darius Slayton yes. touchdown? Yeah, yes. yeah. But I think from the wide was... receiver position. Yeah, Slayton was in yeah. the slot. He runs that whip route. Hodgins runs, I believe it was a post route, clears out like about a 10-yard bubble <laughs> around Darius Slayton. Uh, Daniel Jones throws the ball up. Slayton is able to settle underneath it with nobody around him. It almost looked like he was fielding a punt. And Petrie took that horrible angle. I think Slayton really surprised the Texans' defense. Not not Petrie, per se, because Slayton was kind of standing still when Petrie was set to make his tackle. And then it was really just off to the races. Good vision by him to follow his blockers. And I think it really is fitting that Hodgins set it up, considering that was what we were kind of expecting from Kenny Galladay. A couple big catches and to use his size to create room for other players underneath. That was one aspect of the play. Another aspect was it uh, came through the fact that Darius Slayton started his route to the inside, which forced Jalen Petrie to act or at least think he was going to work over the top of Derek Stingley Jr. to to close with on Darius Lane, but it was a whip route. It was a ruse the entire time. So that, from a scheme standpoint, certainly helped with Darius Slayton getting open. But Isaiah Hodgins is 24 years old. Darius Slayton is 25, and Slayton is having one of his better seasons right now because this guy has been very inefficient for the last several seasons. Right now, he's catching just under 68% of his passes, 28 targets, 19 catches for 327 yards with these two touchdowns. And other than Saquon Barkley, he is the player on the offense that I would circle and say, if the Giants need an explosive play, it's going to come from Darius Slayton. So, I mean, contract-wise, there are so many other players the Giants have to worry about this offseason. It's going to be a really interesting offseason to see uh, where this Giants franchise, what direction they end up taking. But you brought up Kenny Galladay, man. Like, holy crap, dude. 26 total snaps, two targets, had the one terrible drop. Another one hit him in the hands. It was a little bit outstretched, though. I just think he looks so slow releasing off the line of scrimmage, right? He was benched the snap after he dropped that one. That's when the Giants were like, all right, Isaiah Hodgins is going to play for you. And to me, although Isaiah Hodgins is like six foot three, 200 pounds, he's not, he's not one of these smaller, shiftier guys. Like Isaiah Hodgins still looks so much more explosive than Kenny Galladay. And I'm wondering what Galladay's role is going to be going forward. Yeah, I, I really wonder that myself. We noted during the preseason and from what we saw in practice from Galladay that he, he was, he really looked like he was laboring out there. You know, I, I saw some criticisms of, of him saying like, Oh, he was dogging it in practice. I don't think he is. I think just with his build, he is a tall high cut dude and he has had a lot of lower body injuries. I really wonder if all those injuries haven't caught up to him. You know, he's had ankle, knee, 
hip injuries and he just looks like he is laboring out there running his routes his breaks are rounded even for a big guy and even when he's running straight across the field he looks like he's running through like shin deep water out there it's (laughs) it's almost painful to watch at times i don't mean to laugh i really don't but i watched the film and i think that's a pretty apt description of what Kenny Galladay looks like running he's running through shin deep water where it's like hey he's kind of going but why does he seem muddled or slowed down and you know man I I don't want to kick this guy while he's down I don't think he's just mailing it in either I think he's just shot I think he's had multiple surgeries since coming over to the New York Giants we learned a few weeks back or maybe a few months back that he had an off-season procedure as well this past off-season. I just don't think he has it athletically anymore, and I think he's in his own head because the zapped athletic ability isn't going to prevent you from catching passes, but I think right now there has just been so much negativity surrounding him that he can't get out of his own way because there's really no excuse to drop that ball on second and five or Daniel Jones put it right in your hands. It looked like it was in your hands, like it was just there, and then it just like pooped out. It was just like, how the heck does that even happen? Yeah, the the first ball, I like you said, it hit him in the hands. That's one where you say, okay, I'd like to – you'd like the receiver to catch that ball, but – it wasn't in a great spot for him to catch it. Uh, Justin Jefferson makes that catch. I don't think 2022 Kenny Colliday could physically <laughs> generate the generate the burst to haul that catch in. But the second one, yeah, that one was just bad, bad. Very bad. But before we get to the defense, Chris, I think we should probably take a minute to listen to our sponsors here at SB Nation. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Chris, let's get into this New York Giants defense. I think the Giants defense and Wink Martindale were like, "Eh, we're not scared of Davis Mills and Houston's passing attack. Let's just align five guys on the line of scrimmage and use tight front to stop Damian Pierce and the rushing attack. And that's basically what they did almost the entire game. Yeah, it, it was honestly kind of impressive the way the Giants defensive front played and also, it was very impressive how much Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence played. You know, we're used to seeing Leonard Williams play a lot of snaps. He played 59 snaps this game. Dexter Williams, or sorry, Dexter Lawrence, sorry, I'm just combining the two right now, <laughs> played 58 snaps. 
that was 91% of the Giants' total defensive snaps. They, they played 64 snaps total. That is a lot. That is a lot, a lot for a 340-pound man out there. That's impressive, but honestly, what really impressed me the most was Lawrence's hand usage, how he has developed as a defensive tackle. Even last year, Lawrence just got by on being a big, strong, explosive dude. He just tried to bully his way through offensive lines. And sometimes he was successful. Sometimes he would kind of disappear for a bit if offensive linemen were able to account for that, if they were able to out-leverage him or out-technique him. Now, his hands are active. He's getting good extension. He's placing them well. He's coming with a plan now. And interior offensive linemen are absolutely struggling with him. Like The Texans have a pretty good offensive line across the board this game their offensive tackles didn't give up any pressure but the Giants had 12 total pressures up the middle and a lot of that most of that was Dexter Lawrence who had a sack and five quarterback hits it he has gotten to the point where his technique has allowed him to unleash all those physical traits that got him drafted highly I think that's probably the best way to put it because what he's doing with his hands, how efficient he is with his hands, there's no wasted movements. His aiming points, they're spot on. They're right where they need to be. And they set up his secondary move. And then another aspect of Dexter Lawrence that I absolutely love is he has that secondary move, which means he has a pass rush plan. But if that plan does not work, he knows how to get to the counter. We saw that on the play where he took the defensive uh, penalty by rolling into the feet of Davis Mills. Probably shouldn't have done that. It looked like he kind of did it right when he knew Davis Mills threw the football, took the roughing the passer penalty. But he showed the inside spin move after his initial move did not work because Scott Quisenberry kind of had him tied up. But man, Kenyon Green and Scott Quisenberry struggled all game. Dexter Lawrence is just so good at using his hands, getting to the half man, and then relying on his athletic ability, his burst, and his just raw power and strength to impose his will on the impo- on the opposing offensive lineman. I just I'm so impressed with what Dexter Lawrence is doing. And I really do think he is in the conversation for top five interior defensive linemen in the National Football League. Easy pro bowler so far if he keeps this pace up, knocking on wood. And I think he could even be in all pro consideration. That's how well he is playing. He has shown the ability, Chris, to take games over. He did that against Houston and he did that against Chicago. And it's not like he disappeared at all this entire season. He has had a presence in every single game. I absolutely love the fact that this 25-year-old kid is playing this well. Yeah, he, he really, really is. And again, we talked about maybe uh, maybe Darius Slayton getting an extension. I think the Giants almost have to give Dexter Lawrence an extension after this season is done. Yes, they picked up his fifth-year option, but if he keeps playing at this level, he is just going to be that much more expensive after 2023. And the smart thing to do is to lock him up while you can. And Chris, a lot of the pressures he had, he had nine pressures. I think 10, if you want to count the penalty through the holding of Kenyon green, that negated the Brendan cooks touchdown in this game. A lot of them came in the second half. And this is a guy who played 58 
freaking snaps at 340, 345 pounds, whatever he is. Like the guy doesn't get fatigued for a guy that large. That is so damn impressive. Yeah, it really is. I I I do have some worries about wear and tear just over the course of the season because you know now we've got that 17 game season one more and that is a lot of work for a guy his size and that's a lot of stress and strain for as hard as he plays and as hard as he hustles on his joints but for right now like you said that is incredibly impressive and you talk about that holding penalty on Kenyon Green Green is he had kind of an up and down game, which based on what we saw from the Texans interior offensive line is to be expected. But green is a good rookie. He is going to be a good player in the NFL. But I have to say that that holding penalty combined with the Darius Slayton play, those two plays were probably the difference in this game, even though it felt like the Giants were in control the whole way, between those two plays, that's a 14-point swing. That is the difference between the Texans potentially scoring 24 or 27 points and the Giants maybe topping out at 10. So those two plays are sneaky, sneaky, massive for the Giants and potentially the Giants going forward. Absolutely. I think that's a great point. And I want to talk a little bit about the linebacker position. I mean, first, you, you mentioned Leonard Williams, and I think I should just mention him again. He had a great game against Seattle before the bye week in week eight. And week 10, he, he looked phenomenal again. This guy is such a great run defender. Him playing next to Dexter Lawrence, who has taken his game to a next level. It's Definitely an argument, and I think a sound argument, that that is the best one-two punch in the NFL as young interior defensive linemen. Like, I don't think that's a crazy observation or statement to make at this point. Before we get into linebackers, would you agree with that? Yeah, you know, I think it's definitely in the conversation. I don't know about best, just because there's quite a few good defensive tackles in this and in this league right now, and you know, you've got the guys in actually pretty much every. Defensive line in the NFC East has, I think, at least an argument to be made for there. And then, of course, you've got over in Kansas City and it's, uh, I'm sorry, the the 49ers have a good defensive line. So that they're definitely the Giants are definitely in the conversation, and I think that's really all that matters. I think it's funny, too, because the two teams that came to my mind initially are two NFC East teams in Washington and Philadelphia who just played on Monday night. But I definitely think it's at least in the conversation, especially with the way Dexter Lawrence is playing right now. But transitioning to the linebacker position, look, we've talked about Tay Crowder and how it's a cool story. He was Mr. Irrelevant. He earned a starting linebacker role, but we kind of always knew that he has a lot of He's, he's kind of a liability, I think, is, is, the, is the way to put it. I'm not going to use a euphemism here. And I think the Giants are starting to recognize that because he played two defensive snaps coming out of the bye week, which led to 36 snaps for Micah McFadden and 41 for Jalen Smith, who assumed the mic role in this defense. What do you make of this entire situation, and do you think it's going to stay this way moving forward? Uh, you know, I think I think it will stay this way. McFadden is 
I don't know that he is as athletic as Tay Crowder is, but his mental footwork is already better. And yeah, like I said, I, I don't want to insult Tay Crowder, but we don't really see him making plays like the almost interception that McFadden had, where he he is aware of what the offense is doing and he is adjusting his drops, his play accordingly, where Tay Crowder kind of, kind of like Alec Ogletree at times, where he was just kind of defending grass and would let himself get out of position, be out of position. And he plays hard. He hits hard. I think he's a good depth linebacker, but given the choice, I think, Jalen Smith at Mike and McFadden at Will is probably the Giants' best alignment right now. Now, I I definitely think they could still stand to get some upgrades at the linebacker position, either through free agency or through the draft coming up. I would agree, and I also think Mike and McFadden just needs to be a little bit more aware pre-snap. It's something that has plagued him throughout the early parts of the season and got him benched against Green Bay when he made two mistakes on the tight end. And that tight end screen to giant great Jordan Akins that ended up going for 46 yards or whatever the heck it went for. I think that was on Micah McFadden. He was a little bit slow to get out there. And then he allowed Laramie Tunsil to get the angle on him. And he was eliminated from the play. And Jordan Akins, who was like 30 years old, who has been around the NFL forever, ends up rumbling for almost 50 freaking yards. So I, I would like for McFadden to be a little bit more crisp from that pre-snap portion. But I do agree. I think inside the box from an eye discipline standpoint, from a fill filling standpoint in terms of run support, in terms of blitzing, I just think he adds a little bit more than Tay Crowder. So I'm interested to see how that kind of evolves as time goes by. But another aspect of this defense, before we get into our last segment that I wanted to touch on, was the fact that this Giants defense continues turn the football over in the second half, like timely turnovers. And it's like, how sustainable is this, Chris? How many times can you be in your own red zone? The opposing offense is in your red zone, about to score a touchdown, and then somehow you just force a fumble like Damian Pierce or come away with an interception and then just totally flip the script on the other team. You know, uh, inter- interceptions, fumbles, turnovers, those those kind of bunches they're really not predictable just by and large you know over time I think a lot of it comes down to just how aggressive this defense is how hard they play and a lot of times how hard they hit yeah I saw the Texans they're definitely a Lovey Smith defense they tried to tackle the ball with the Giants and it led to some missed tackles the Giants go after the ball, but they also are pretty sound in their tackling. And I think that is really the difference and why the Giants are good at turning the ball over, at least right now, where, yes, they're they're hitting hard, they're attacking the ball, but they're sound and they're generally in pretty good position. So they're able to capitalize on those mistakes. Like, both of those turnovers, you know, the, the the fumble by Damian Pierce, that was just hard play. And I think also kind of a rookie moment on Damian Pierce's part where he didn't have the ball in great position, didn't have all the points of contact uh, to bring Tom Qualfin back into it. He probably would have uh, shouted at him 
going up and down him on the sideline after that. Might have even have benched him. But the interception, again, that, that was a great play by Dane Belton. Also set up by Dexter Lawrence negating the touchdown on the previous play. If Lawrence doesn't get the, draw that holding call, Belton doesn't even get the chance to make that interception. And it really is impressive how opportunistic this Giants defense is because that is one of the best ways, one of the only ways really to slow down a modern offense. Yeah, the fumble by Damian Pierce too, it really seemed like it was just Kayvon Thibodeau pushing Jordan Aikens into Damian Pierce while Leonard Williams draws, I think, a holding penalty, splits uh, the blocker, I think it was. I don't think it was a double team, and then just kind of punches at the elbow of Damian Pierce to force that fumble. And in terms of Dane Belton, I think Davis Mills saw on the touchdown pass the very play before that. I'm just going to challenge the left side because it didn't really make any sense to throw that football that deep in the honey hole against a cover two defense where Dane Belton is playing the deep half and a Dory Jackson's on Philip Dorsett. So Davis Mills, that was kind of a YOLO ball and Dane Belton comes down with his first interception, which I appreciate, even though he almost had another interception earlier in this game, narrowly just went over his hands, man. This guy could easily have four interceptions, maybe even five. If you want to count the one against Carolina, he's, He's very good at finding the football, and I think it's going to result in a lot of turnovers. I really like the fact that he is here with the New York Giants. Yeah, I think Davis Mills was he was trying for the veteran move with that pass because we saw it earlier in the game uh, when he had time in the pocket and then threw to, I believe it was Philip Dorsett, who was matched up on Fabian Moreau. I think he looked over, saw Moreau kind of draped all over the receiver and thought, I'm going to throw it there and hope for, or maybe force the officials to throw the flag for holding or DPI, pick up some yards, maybe get get the first down, maybe get a free chunk play out of this for my offense. I think that might have been what Mills was thinking with the uh, that even deeper pass attempt after the touchdown was called back because that is within the context of the throw towards Moreau that didn't draw the flag. He got his head around just soon enough to say, Hey, you know, that it wasn't DPI. I, I think Mills was going for the savvy veteran move and it just completely backfired on him. (laughs) Yeah, I think that was against Nico Collins on the third and four, the second right. of the it game. It was Nico Collins. Thank you. Yeah, good, good on good on the Giants, man, to force three straight three and outs against this team. But I will say in the second half, and yes, Giants have a lead. Texans are in comeback mode. But still, the New York Giants are surrendering these chunk explosive plays that can be damning to them if we're going to be real here. And also, they, they allowed Damian Pierce to run for, I think, 44 yards in the first half, that was kind of a, a bad angle taken by Dane Belton, who we were just praising. You know, if that was Xavier McKinney, I don't know if that run ends up happening. But what do you make of the propensity for this defense, who is playing well, to give up these explosive plays of 20-plus yards or more? You know, I, I have it down in our notes for this. I think that's just kind of a fact of life with this defense. The heavy pressure defenses like the Giants, these blitz happy 
defenses, even when they're dropping, just showing blitz and dropping guys into coverage and you know, overloading only one side of the offense. Ultimately, if you're sending pressure, you're taking guys out of coverage. And the Giants play downhill quite a bit. So that kind of opens up the second level. And if offenses are able to deal with the pressure, pick it up or move away on a bootleg, deal with that pressure some way, there's going to be room for explosive playmakers to make something happen with the ball in their hands, which I think is what we saw against or against the Texans and really throughout the season. The trick of course is getting blockers to the second level, beating Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence, or you know, picking up the linebackers as they come flying downhill to get a Damian Pierce or, you know, any of the other runners we have seen enough of a crease where they can find that open field or buy enough time for the quarterback to find a receiver downfield against one-on-one coverage. Or if the giants, you know, showed man and dropped into zone, did one of the coverage rotations that Martindale likes to do, you know, they throw a lot at you, but opportunities are just going to be there. Anything else, Chris, on this dub for the New York football giants over those Houston Texans? You know, I, I think we've done a pretty good job breaking this game down. I'm looking forward to digging into the Lions because I, I watched them in week one and I had kind of the same feeling about the Lions as I did the Giants early on. Like the, this is a team that has some players. They have some problems, but man, do they play hard. But these two teams have gone in complete opposite directions. So I really want to check in on the Lions and see how they're doing other than Amon Ross St. Brown getting me a lot of points in fantasy. (laughs) (laughs) He's a very good football player, but everyone, thank you for joining the Chris and Nick show here on big blue view radio. Please like, and subscribe comment on the podcast and head to bigblueview.com where we have all of our written content. Go to the YouTube as well. We're posting videos there. It's a good time. Please go and check it out. Everyone take care of each other. Let's go giants and have a lovely day. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement.